Good afternoon. Hi, everybody. My name is Vivi Nguyen, and I am the Director of Creative Operations at Hulu. Thank you so much for joining our panel today about bridging the gender gap in public art. Um, a few years ago, my colleagues and I discovered an unsettling fact. Less than 8% of statues, public statues in the US are of women. You did not mishear me. 8%. There, in fact, there are more statues of men and dogs than there are of women, which we knew we had to come in and make a, sorry. We knew we had to spring into action and launched a multi-city activation that featured mirrored statues of women to not only help even the playing fields, even if just for a few days, but also invited women to literally see themselves reflected and be a part of shaping history. Although it was a success, we knew this temporary representation was not enough. So we sought out visual artist, Saya Wolfock, here today to make permanent changes. For the past few years, we've worked in partnership with Saya, city officials in Atlanta, Los Angeles, and Miami, and estate representatives to commission new public monuments representing the contributions of three historic female figures, legend legendary activist and civil human rights activist, Coretta Scott King, journalist and conservationist Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, and Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. We could not be more proud that after years, and when I say years, I literally mean years, because those city permits are no joke, um, we are finally launching our monuments um, and bringing them to life. Thank you. Um, Coretta's monument is located on the grounds of the Martin Luther King Jr. Center for Nonviolent Social Change in Atlanta, right alongside Dr. King's Eternal Flame, something that we are so proud of. Marjorie's mon monument is located, or will be located, in Miami's Peacock Park in Coconut Grove, just minutes from the home that she lived in for 70 years. Ruth's monument will be just outside the Van Nuys Civic Center in Los Angeles, close to the courthouse and public library, in what was once a center of local Jewish communal life. Speaking of permanent installations, Brenda Berkman, another one of our panelists here today, is the VP of Programs of, for Monumental Women, a not-for-profit organization created in 2014 with the initial goal of breaking the bronze ceiling and creating the first statue of real women in Central Park's 167-year history. Their monument of women's right pioneers, Sojourner Truth, Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton was launched on August 26, 2020, um, the centennial anniversary of the ratification and certification of the 19th Votes for Women Amendment to the Constitution. Let's give her a round of applause. <laughs> Last but not least, we have Eve Samples, the executive director at Friends of the Everglades, a nonprofit organization founded by Marjorie Stoneman Douglas herself that is dedicated to preserving America's Everglades and its interconnected ecosystems. So thank you all so much for being a part of this important conversation. Saya, I'm gonna start with you. Can you tell us a little bit about the ideation of the monuments for these iconic women? How did you decide what they would look like and how would they reflect the legacies of each person? Sure, so hi, um, I'm Saya Wolfalk. I'm a visual artist based in Brooklyn. 
And I, I just want to say thank you all for coming today uh, and to, to listen to what we have to say because I think, you know, responding a little bit to what Vivi said, um, there really are very few public monuments to women. There are some monuments to women in private spaces, but very few in public spaces. And that was a very important part of this project, uh, for me especially, that these monuments would become a part of our collective history and our collective story. And so from the very beginning of this project, when Hulu brought me on, um, we made sure that the monuments would be donated to each of the three cities that we were making the monuments for. So the monuments are not owned by me, they are not owned by Hulu, they are owned by us as, um, like in the United States as American people. Um, and that, that to me is real kind of transformative storytelling. And that's important to me as an artist. How can you create transformative storytelling that makes real change, like substantial historical change? And these three monuments will become a part of our history, right? They're in the archive, and they're owned by all of us. They're not owned by one corporation. They're not owned by you know, a single individual. They're owned by us all. Um, and they'll be taken care of by each of the cities, um, hopefully into perpetuity. And what's wonderful about the cities accepting these pieces as gifts to the cities, it's uh, Atlanta, Los Angeles, and Miami, is that in order for them to be removed from the historical record, they actually have to be voted on by the people to be removed from the historical record. So it's, you know, it's, a, it's like a funny, weird thing that happens in a legal document that actually becomes a binding agreement. Um, and I'm really proud of that um, part of this process. Um, so it's taken us four years to get to this point. Um, I signed the contract on my birthday of 2019 um, when I turned 40 years old. Uh, and Do you remember when we thought it would only take three months to get this done, and here we are four years later? <laughs> later. I know, the permitting is no joke, as you said. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's been a long process um, trying to figure out who the women we were going to commemorate were, how, which cities we were going to donate these monuments to. And it, it basically was a very long collaborative process with a number of actors and city agencies. We would come up with short lists of women who we would love to commemorate in each of the places and give them to the cities as different options. And then stakeholders in the cities. So it's been a collaborative process throughout this whole you know, project. The cities would choose which women they wanted to commemorate. Um, so Atlanta is Coretta Scott King, um, and it'll be on the grounds of the King Center, which is just extraordinary. And then um, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas will be in Peacock Park in Miami, in Coconut Grove. Um, and the last monument which will be uh, unveiled will be at Van Nuys City Hall in Los Angeles to uh, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, and, and I'm happy to talk about the specificities of the projects, um, but I think it might be nice to give everyone a chance to speak about you know, the, the particulars of, of their projects as I well. I was also actually gonna say, we have not had a chance to play the video yet, which actually does go into detail of everything that went into it. So let's go ahead and play that video first, and then we'll go on with questioning. Okay. Oh, that's me. Oh. 
Currently, there are 4,800 monuments to men in the United States and only 400 to women. Because of the tremendous disparity, Hulu has sought to approach this topic with true action. I'm Saya Wolfall. I'm a Brooklyn-based artist. I'm Daria Brickgreen. I'm a curator. We need more recognition of women's contributions to our culture. Through our conversations, it became clear that Hulu really wanted to support something that was part of the public collection. The Monument Project is in three cities, and it's to three women in the United States. Miami with Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. Atlanta for Coretta Scott King. And Los Angeles with Ruth Bader Ginsburg. They're women who undoubtedly deserve monuments. It was really important to celebrate a woman civil rights leader, and there was none more impactful than Coretta Scott King. Marjorie Stoneman Douglas was an activist who protected the Everglades, and that's why we still have the Everglades today. Ruth Bader Ginsburg was literally every woman. She also summed up why this project was so necessary. I chose to create chapels or structures that are modeled after domes instead of representational figurative sculpture. They put the viewer into their shoes almost and give the viewer a moment of power to make their own promises to the future. These are women who did not let what people imagine they are limit who they became. There are women to celebrate. We actually uh, unveiled that on Women's Equality Day in 2020, so we've come a long way since then, and it's so exciting to be here and talk about this. So, which leads me to my next question. So, Brenda, I know that your monument in Central Park went through several iterations. Before we actually go into the question, we're gonna go ahead and show your video first to give everyone the context about monumental women, and then we'll go into the question. Lots of videos. The bronze ceiling in Central Park with the women's rights pioneers statue. For the first time in over six decades, the first statue of real, non-fictional women, the first statue of an African-American, a statue that depicts three great Americans working together. So our charge now, as we stand in the great river of history, is to take the stories of women and carry them forward into our schools, into our lives. I hope everyone will promote not only the statue, but the efforts that Monumental Women is undertaking to ensure that this is the first of many statues of pioneering. Forward through the darkness, forward into light. Thank you for making sure we are reminded of that here in Central Park. What an amazing project and unveiling. I can't wait to watch more. Um, I know, like I mentioned, it went through civil, several inter iterations. Can you talk to us about how um, that evolved and how the site was dictated and what was ultimately executed? Sure, so um, we actually 
started out, Monumental Women started out as an organization in 2014. And at the time, a bunch of people had been walking through the park, including some of our current board members, and they noticed that there were no statues of real women. There was Mother Goose, there was, uh, you know, Alice in Wonderland, and there were 23 statues of real men and one real dog, uh, Balto. Uh, and, and we thought this is, a, this is an imbalance uh, in terms of portraying our history to the people, the, the 42 million people that visit Central Park every year. Think about that number. So uh, we started out the long and rather tortuous process with the city of New York, multiple city agencies, having to get the approval of every single community board. I don't really have time to go into all the various steps that were involved with this, but just to let you know that, uh, to give you one example, when we got to the, what we thought was the end of the process because we'd had a, a public design process where we had like 90 sculptors submit proposals and then that got narrowed down to like five and then we came up with Meredith Bergman to be the designer and she submitted a uh, design showing two women suffragists, Stanton and Anthony who worked together very closely then there was a scroll that went down from the two women that had the names and quotes from a large number of other women suffragists from all over the country and from various eras because remember it took 70 years to get the uh, 19th Amendment passed. And that got taken out by one of the last agencies that we had to deal with the scroll. So we really had to go back to the drawing board with only about a year to go before the unveiling on the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment. We didn't have any time at all, but fortunately, Meredith, because we wanted to make sure that people were aware of the diversity of uh, suffragists and also that uh, we had to meet certain criteria imposed by the fact that we were putting a monument in there that was had to meld in with all the old guys that were there um, that had been put in a hundred years ago so that they you know, looked like they fit in. So Sojourner Truth, who worked with Anthony and Stanton, shared the same stages, stayed at Stanton's house. They worked together, uh, gave, they gave speeches together. She was added. <laughs> uh, and, um, and that was the, the beautiful monument that was unveiled in, in the midst of a pandemic, crazy. Uh, and, that, and then we, as an organization, we knew that it was not gonna be one and done. You know, we weren't just gonna put a statue into Central Park. We wanted to tell people more about women's history because as an organization, we're really all about educating people about women's history. And so that's, you saw some of the other projects that we do. You saw that we have a five borough women's rights history walking trail, which we're continuing to add to as we go along. We had put her on a pedestal, which is a combination history and art project for young, young women and girls. We have also 
a toolkit to help other women, I'm sorry, other groups around the country learn from our experience, everything from fundraising to getting the approvals to you know, selecting a sculptor, that's in our toolkit so that everybody doesn't have to go out there and reinvent the wheel, right? One final thing I want to add is, and that, and that is about talking statues, and I have to just say we this. Actually, I would love to get into ta talking statues next because we are going to talk about that, and I don't, definitely don't want you to feel like it has okay. to be a quick moment. Yeah. Because oh, sorry. I think, it's, I think it's a very important um, project to definitely talk about. But before we dive into that, I definitely want to talk to Eve um, because Eve works with Friends of the Everglades, as I mentioned, which is the uh, group that Marjorie Stoneman Douglas found. And I would love to just hear from you and your experience, um, especially being with a group that we actually got to, of, of a woman that we got to actually commemorate. So when Hulu came to you with this proposal, what we were doing for Marjorie, what was your initial reaction? Why did you feel like this was the right time and right way, importantly, to honor Marjorie? Yeah, thanks, Vivian. Thank you for all the hard work you've put into this effort. Um, she's not just our moderator. She's really a driving force behind this whole project. <laughs> so Friends of the Everglades is a small grassroots organization based in Miami for most of our existence. Now we're based just north, and Marjorie Stoneman Douglas founded our group in 1969. And Marjorie, like most human beings, and, and including women, was a nuanced and complicated and had many different identities. She lived to be 108, so I think she squeezed in a few more identities, but she was a, a suffragist, she was a journalist, she was a crusader for uh, racial equality in the 19-teens when she was writing for the Miami Herald. In 1947, she published the book The Everglades River of Grass, which changed the world's perception of the Everglades from a vast swampy wasteland to be conquered to a national treasure to be protected, um, not just to become a national park to visit, but for, for the future of our, our health and our natural resources. And then in 1969, she was actually 79 years old, she founded Friends of the Everglades to stop what would have been the world's biggest airport from being built in the middle of the Everglades. It's now Big Cypress National Preserve. And actually, if you go on Google Earth, there's a single runway out there now you can see with all of these pristine wetlands around it. And Friends of the Everglades, led by Marjorie, helped stop that uh, airport from being built. So she was impactful and varied and complex. And yet, if you spend time in Florida, where she literally changed the course of history, there aren't any public monuments that honor her. Um, now, her name is on the Department of Environmental Protection in Tallahassee, where bureaucrats and policymakers implement policies that I'm pretty sure Marjorie would be really pissed about right now. Um, or her name is on an expanse of wilderness that's really hard to access at Everglades National Park. Um, and th there are some statues in private spaces around town too, but there's no public space owned by the public where you can go and contemplate what this woman contributed to not just the state of Florida, but to the country. So I'm, I was so grateful when Hulu reached out, and frankly, a little surprised. Hulu's a big company, we're a small grassroots organization, and they had landed on Marjorie and, and fell in love with her story in the same way that what we love Marjorie's story. So I think creating this um, is really going to educate future generations 
And in an era where we're all grappling with urgent environmental crises, climate change at the leading edge, I mean, climate change is immediately impacting the Everglades in ways that are visible. I think having these spaces um, where people who might not know what Marjorie did before us can come in and think about our, our current challenges and how to head into the future can be really impactful in a way that's more than symbolic, more than a piece of art, um, but really activating change. You know, in many of our conversations, Marjorie is often associated, unfortunately, with the high school in Parkland, right? And one of the things that we've really tried to do is tell these women's stories to not only, you know, share what they've been doing and, and disassociate from some of these negative things that have happened, but really be able to inspire the future generations and the generations today. As you can see with the talks that we're having now, this is just the beginning. And we hope, and when I say we, I mean Hulu because that's what I can control, um, is being able to do something to really help change that narrative. Um, and one of the things that we've talked about as well is you see here the stage of women, every phone call, every Zoom call, every, the city officials to the state represent, representatives, they're all amazing women that are working together to really be able to commemorate and honor and, you know, as Brenda mentioned, having this toolkit to be able to inspire people, to be able to make change themselves and be able to put something out there as well, I think is the most invigorating and rewarding thing for myself being involved in this project. So with that said, thank you for sharing that. Um, I do want to talk now about extending beyond the physical statues or monuments themselves, right? Because we create a space to inspire, but what can we do beyond that? So Brenda, you have a pretty impressive roster of women who lent their voices to talking statues. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Right, so when people typically go to visit a monument, right, you have a little sign there. Maybe, maybe you don't even have a sign that explains what it's supposed to mean to the viewer. And a lot of times, I mean, it's just a name on the pedestal. Uh, but what we wanted to do was to really educate visitors about the contributions of these three women and other women to the suffrage movement and women's rights in general. So we use an app at the, uh, the monument. The, there's a QR code there where you, you know, can activate the app and then you hear a, uh, a script written by a historian and professional scriptwriter Joanna Parent. And then the first voice that you hear is Viola Davis as Sojourner Truth. And then you hear Meryl Streep as, as uh, Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Jane Alexander as Susan B. Anthony. I really wanted to make sure that we had bilingual information for folks because, you know, New York uh, is very heavily Spanish speaking and a lot of our visitors as well. So we have Rita Moreno as Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Zoe Saldana as Sojourner Truth, and America Ferrara as uh, Susan B. Anthony. Um, then we have little one-minute historical videos about each of the women, and we have an interview with the sculptor so that the sculptor gets to explain the thinking behind this monument because every single part of it has meaning and we want people to be able to understand, why are those books there? You know, why is that funny-looking valise there? That was Susan B. Anthony's alligator bag that had a children's rhyme written about it because it was so famous that she was seen with this, carrying this bag around with her. She traveled the country. So our, our aim is to really try and make sure that, that people recognize what this stands for, and it's amazing 
I'm sure this is going to happen with your monuments as well. We've had two may women mayoral candidates announce their candidacy at the Women's Rights Pioneers Monument. When Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed, people came and made uh, large banners celebrating her life at the, and left them at the monument. People are leaving things all the time for voting rights, for you know, women's rights. So the monument has been a centering place for people's activism, and that's what we were hoping that it would be. Oh, I, I have something to say in response to that. Actually, I, I love that. I, I absolutely love that. And I think um, one, of, one of the things that I was really thinking about with these monuments is how they can become interconnected sites. And I think that you've discussed that as well um, in, in the, the trail of various monuments to women that you guys are also documenting. Because um, I think I think that this project or, or monument building projects are bigger than any individual initiative by an organization or um, an individual artist or a corporation or a funder. Like the monument building project, especially to women, is is something that like changes how we remember and changes how we know what reality is and gives future generations a sense of you know what their future potential is as well so um, you know every time you talk about um, how you like there's a QR code that goes to a website you know Vivi we're doing a project where you know you, you if you can't get to the site there's going to be a virtual experience where you can actually walk into the monument, experience the monument, hear about the, the various elements within each of the monuments, as well as the stories of the women. So there is this kind of extensive educational component as well that is beyond the object and, and can actually be something that's accessed globally. Um, and I think that's important as well as a part of the project. When we were ideating this together for the Hulu monuments, we never wanted physical location to be a limitation on why you were not able to experience and visit the monuments themselves. And so, like Saya mentioned, we do have a VR component that we'll be launching as each monument is unveiled itself so that you can go and visit and really be able to experience different moments within these women's lives, right? Because, again, there's different associations with each woman and we want to be able to highlight on the VR component 10 highlights or 10 different moments of each woman's life that you may not necessarily know about. For example, Credit Scott King was a really well-known um, opera singer and a lot of people didn't realize that and we're able to include moments of that on the website itself and be able to have these hotspots of the monuments that really, and I'm totally taking your answer here, but when you know, one of the things I love the most about the monument itself is hearing about these different moments or items that inspired the creation of the the space. And so we have hotspots where you can click on it and learn more, which is similar to what Brenda has for her piece. And again, we want people to feel inspired, and you can feel inspired by learning more about their life. And and um, yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about just talking about inspiration, talking about the Credit Scott King piece too? Yeah, so the launch for the Credit Scott P uh, King monument, it will be on the grounds of the King Center on April 27th. So, I, I, you know, I'm really Everybody excited come. about that. Yeah, I'm really, really <laughs> excited about that in Atlanta. 
Um, uh, it's, it's, you know, three and a half long years um, in process. Long years. Yeah, long years, uh, including Wait, a we pandemic. We had seven. So. You had seven? Okay, okay. So you guys did really, you did, did the took longer. Um, well, it's not done yet, so let's... <laughs> Please don't jinx true, it. True, true. No, not yet. Um, but, um, so the, the monument to Coretta Scott King, I mean, and actually each monument is not a figurative project. They're not figurative pieces. Representations of them are in each of the monuments. So their, their likenesses are represented in the monuments. But what I wanted to do was create a series of structures where you could feel the, um, the accomplishments of the women and embody the accomplishments of the women. So they're interactive installations. Um, most of my practice traditionally as a kind of museum artist is to create these immersive environments that are interactive storytelling. And so I wanted to take that strategy to create contemporary monuments. Um, you know, I, I have a kind of, um, I come out of um, institutional critique, like that's kind of my background as an artist. And I didn't want to make monuments that were the same kind of monuments that were used to commemorate you know, people 100 years ago. I wanted to make a new kind of monument, uh, a new kind of monument that could help you as an individual in the present you know, embody and become like these women who you know, had such a great impact on us. So for the Coretta Scott King piece, um, I spoke a lot with Dr. Bernice King, who is her daughter, and with the, the King family historian. Um, I also visited the site, and we chose a site where her bones were actually interred before she was buried in the, in the, the crypt next to her husband, Martin Luther King. Um, and I think that is a really, really important part of this piece, that this monument is actually on a sacred site. Um, her bones were buried there, this like sacred ground, and her energy is forever in that earth. And what I really hope is that when people come to the monument that has these kind of cast bronze microphones and a place where you can speak your commitments to the future of civil rights, that they feel her energy kind of emanating from the earth and it kind of comes into their body. Um, so there are many elements like that in each of the sites um, where it's not just, you know, you don't just contemplate a, a, a likeness of an individual. You're not just like thinking about a person and what they look like. You're actually, I hope that people actually feel who they were. And so you're surrounded by Coretta Scott King's words as well. Um, and I'm just going to read the quotation in the center. Um, Let's see if I can find the quotation. Oh, my goodness. I made it really big for myself, and then I made it small. Okay, so um, women, if the soul of the nation is to be saved, I believe that you must become its soul. So you're surrounded by these words. There are these bronze cast microphones with an active mic in the center. You're standing on sacred ground. And I, I really hope that people are inspired to kind of speak their truths. Um, and... On April 27th, when the inauguration happens, um, I'm bringing my daughter, uh, who's 11 years old, and 
this is the kind of experience I want her to have, where she goes into this space and she sees her mom, a contemporary artist, making a monument in a significant historical location. And it's to this incredible you know, activist peace leader um, who usually is just you know, associated with Martin Luther King. Um, but we're centering her with this piece. And not only are we centering her, we're also building an entire, um, like a, basically there's like a topiary structure around it and everything, so we've gotten donations for like creating an environment around the monument. So it's a real community effort. Um, and Community, really I think, is the key word there. Again, being on a Zoom call with Dr. Bernice King where she was able to talk about how it felt, I don't, I don't think Sarah mentioned this, but the original plan for the Credit Scott King piece was to be at a park across the street from the King Center. That's right. But when we presented the idea, Saya presented her designs, Dr. Bernice King loved it so much that they decided to move it to the King Center yeah. next to the Eternal Flame. And to us, that is the ultimate compliment to be able to be, have them together like that. So it just shows that this work means a lot to a lot of people. Um, Marjorie is a similar situation as well where I feel like a lot of people, again, didn't know that. I would love to hear from you, Eve, around how you felt. We, we talk a lot about monuments here and statues, and we can talk a little bit about what, it, what the difference is, because I, I think a lot of people use that interchangeably. Um, but I would love to hear from you around how you felt seeing the monument from Marjorie. I know it's not up yet, but I'd love to hear more about from you. Sure. So I remember well when I first saw the renderings of Saya's monument to Marjorie. Um, it also has that... Uh, kind of pergola, trellis, kind of a lacy dome, if you will, and you call it Chapel to the River of Grass, right, which was Marjorie's book. And um, I'm just going to describe your monument for you. <laughs> it's a, a chair, and the book River of Grass is open on the ground, and it, it immediately um, made me think of people gathering in that space, a gathering place for activism, as you said, um, and contemplating the words that she wrote um, so that we can bring them to the next challenge. And, and the, the words from the book are very powerful, of course. There are no ever, other Everglades in the world is the way it starts out. Um, but Marjorie also had many other powerful words. And, and one of our mantras at Friends of the Everglades is be a nuisance where it counts. She was very much of the good trouble mindset. And, and I see this monument. It's, it's beautiful, traditionally speaking. Um, but it, it also allows you to bring some of that um, contemporary energy and problem solving into the space. And I know we're talking a lot about the design, and I know none of you know what we're talking about. Um, the Credit Scott King, again, like Saya mentioned, will be unveiled in April. You can go visit the ones in, that Brenda Monumental Women have done in New York. Um, the other two will be done later this year, so we're really excited to share those. I do want to ask the question to all, to all three of you, whose responsibility is it to bridge the gender disparity in public art? And what would you tell someone who is looking to get involved in the fight? So I think it's everyone's responsibility to make sure that women and people are, of color are represented in public art. Um, you know, it's our obligation, I feel, to teach, it's all of our obligations to teach the next generations about the full contributions of women and people of color and other marginalized groups to our, our great history that have been previously um, not told. Uh, we, we believe that you know women's history is a gift, not just for women, but also for men, because it really does explain a lot of where we got to today, and yet 
we aren't taught it in schools. And if you have things, it doesn't have to be a monument. It could be a plaque on a building. It could be um, you know, a QR code on a sign or a street naming. And we're, we're an all-volunteer organization. We raised a million and a half dollars to put this monument into Central Park. So it's not, it's not something that is beyond the realm of possibility for even small communities to be able to honor the people, the women, and other people who contributed to their, uh, to the, their communities who have previously been ignored and overlooked. And so I would say all of you, you know, out here in the audience, you know, take this as a charge to you to organize yourselves in whatever communities that you come from. We have now the templates for you to be able to do this, and it doesn't have to be a million and a half dollars that you raise. It can be the amount that's necessary, and it doesn't have to be a gigantic memorial, but it, it should, you know, we have to start somewhere. I'll just briefly piggyback on that answer. I agree that this might not be your lane. You're all here in, in whatever professional or personal capacity you sit in. But sometimes we have to get out of our lanes and, and join others. And it just makes me think of what's going on in Florida right now, where we're facing banned books and other suppression. In fact, on Tuesday night, it's not exactly my lane, and I don't really have time for it. But I'm going to go to our local school board meeting, because I'm so concerned about the books being banned in the county where I live. So um, we, we all just have to get in other people's lanes sometimes and make things happen. I mean, when people found out that Hulu was doing something for monuments, they're like, is that your lane? You're an entertainment platform. And so, you know, it started with a couple of women and male allies working together because we wanted to make a change. And we're so proud of what we've been able to, to do in the past four years and the people we've been able to meet. So it starts somewhere, for sure. Did you have something to add to that? No, I think you guys covered it. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> Um, before we turn, question to, uh, turn to questions from the audience, one final question for all of you. What are some of the challenges in making equality in public art and advocacy a reality, and how can we work together to overcome them? Well, I think Eve just pointed to some of the challenges that we're facing right today. I think that there's been a backlash against trying to you know, bring forward the history that's been left out of our history books and out of our public spaces. And that doesn't mean that we should then take a bat, you know, take a backward step on this. If if even more so, we should be pushing to have that kind of content out there for people to learn from. Because otherwise we're really ignorant of our history. And the you know, and the other thing is that this kind of activity, if you want to call it that, where we're working together to try and make people aware of historical women. It does energize activism, as I think we've all pointed out, for today's issues and explains how we got to where we are today. So get out there. Yeah. <laughs> it's important. I'll add that the 
obstacle I see looming largest is special interests. It's, it's an obstacle we run up against time and again in our environmental advocacy. And there are special interests that benefit from preserving the status quo, whether it's in terms of environmental policy or representation of women in public art. So that's the obstacle. It's pretty easy to spot. And luckily, we have a roadmap for addressing it and making progress. I, I can add one other thing, which is um, it's difficult to be resilient. Right? Like when, you know, the, this process really has, you know, it took you guys seven years. Um, it's hard to, to continue to advocate for projects that even if people are supportive, there's, um, you know, some resistance to accomplishing the project. So, you know, continuing to be resilient, continuing to, you know, try in the face of, you know, it's not a no, but it's a non-movement. <laughs> uh, I think that's really, really, really um, challenging. Um, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that resilience is important because I'd really prefer not to have to be resilient, frankly. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, but I think that's, that's a, a major challenge, um, aside from resourcing as well. Of course, resourcing is a, is a major challenge as well. But well, we, we all take inspiration from the women that we are honoring. I mean, when you think about that, Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton never had the opportunity, and Sojourner Truth also, never had the opportunity to vote legally. Sojourner tried to go to her local voting area and register. They turned her away. Susan B. Anthony voted in uh, Rochester, New York. She was arrested. Uh, so they, they struggled. Their struggles were so long and so hard when you learn about them. You know, it, it really does make you feel like, well, what am I whining about? Really, I just have to get out there and take inspiration from them and do these kinds of things. And it's the same with Marjorie, it's the same with Ruth, and with Coretta Scott King, and so many other of the people that, that maybe we don't even really know about. So this is what drives us every day, is that this, this is important, important things. These are important things. History is, our history is important. And we have to know it. We have to know the truth of it. And Saya, I love that you approach these monuments in a way that does not attempt to deify these women. And I was hoping you might just talk a little bit about that before we open it up to questions. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, um, one of one of my um, one of the things that I really wanted to do with these projects, uh, with these projects, was to. It's like an energy, they're energy transfer devices. I'm going to start sounding a bit like a witch, but. Um, <laughs> you know like, what they do to witches. Right? <laughs> no, I'm like, oh, God, that's uncomfortable. Uh, but I, I do think of them as these energy transfer devices. Um, and so when we're describing um, being inspired by these women's lives, um, what I'm hoping is that the, the spaces that I'm building that are informed by their legacies and their energies will transfer that energy to people who come and visit them. Um, and and that's, that's an important part of the project for me. 
This project means so many things to so many people, and I love that we've been able to meet new women, male allies, and all these things to be able to do what we've done now, and I think representation is key, and we're just only getting started because there are so many monuments, statues, et cetera, of women that we should be putting out there that we haven't yet, and so we really hope this sparks something in all of you and your friends and family to be able to do something that makes a difference. Um, it doesn't matter what your job is because you can really you know, spark change wherever you are. Um, so are there any questions from the audience? Yes? Richard Serra is a good example of that. <laughs> no, yeah. I can talk to the Hulu piece first. Um, so for Hulu, we really wanted to make sure that we did not really have a lot of creative control in the sense of the monuments themselves. We wanted to give Saya control there to really authentically represent who the women were. We didn't want to splash our brand everywhere because honestly that's gross. We wanted to really just be able to let these women inspire and be represented and be, be um, shared and celebrated. On the platform side, that question came up actually a lot internally, and now I feel gross because I'm gonna promote it. We did create some animation shorts created by BWA, which was uh, which is, stands for Black Women Animate, which is a, a amazing Black women-founded creative agency, animation agency that we worked with um, to create animation shorts about each of the women on our platform. It is called Made by Her, Monumental Women, not associated with Brenda's organization. Um, but you can find it just searching for it on the Hulu platform. But that was a way that we really wanted to be able to share um, stories about these women's lives in ways that you wouldn't be able to see represented within the monuments themselves. Um, the, you know, one of the biggest things for us too is representation and making sure that we not only hired partners that were diverse, but also behind the camera and in front of the camera, right? And so those are the things that we could control, but long story short, we just really wanted to make sure we gave creative freedom to both Saya, the estates, because of course their families had a lot of insight and input that they wanted to provide as well. I think I started, to, or I mentioned that we had really pretty severe parameters about what design we could put into Central Park. So it had to fit in with, with the 19th century monuments that were already there. And, uh, you know, Mer Meredith Bergman did a masterful job in, 
being able to do that, but at the same time, we are the only monument that has three people represented, shown working together, and they all represent different aspects of activism. Sojourner Truth speaking, Susan B. Anthony organizing, and Elizabeth Cady Stanton writing, and, and, and things that are associated with the women's rights movement that are scattered and their personal lives scattered all around them. They wanted to put us outside the, uh, the park. They wanted to have us have a garden instead of a monument. And we just kept persisting. But some of the other monuments in New York have run up against really serious uh, obstacles in terms of getting made. So it, it can be a fraught process. I think you, you have to recognize that. You, you may encounter people who like what the Hank Willis thing, they just don't like the way that it looks. Um, but, you know, we were told, oh, you know, I don't know if that's going to go over very big, that monument that you're putting in Central Park, but in fact, it's, it's fantastic in terms of the way that the public has responded. So, uh, you know, we're very, very hopeful that when, you know, you go out to your communities, you will come up with a plan that allows people to learn about women's history and at the same time is, is uh, accepted by the community that, that uh, you know, where you're putting it. Sarah, did you have something to add as well? Yeah, so um, I, I love that you brought up Hank. Hank's a good friend. He's um, someone who I've come up with in the art world for the last 20 years. Um, and he's always inspiring. He's... Um, his work is always absolutely incredible. And I love that, you know, this was a monument that was intended to be to MLK, and he, you know, brought in his wife. And that is, you know, it's giving me chills just thinking about it. I'm like, that's just incredible. Um, and I actually saw all of the proposals, and all of the proposals were incredible. <laughs> and um, I'm, I'm just so happy that, that um, you know, Hank received the commission. Um, but, you know, the way that the public responds, I mean, I don't know how the public's going to respond to the monument. Um, I've worked very closely with the estate of uh, Coretta Scott King. Um, I've worked very closely with the family, um, and the family of Coretta Scott King, and the family of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, and, and I think... For me, that's really important. Do the, do the families feel as if these monuments represent their mothers? <laughs> you know? like that's, that's a really, really uh, important part to me. And do the stakeholders who are committed to um, perpetuating their leg legacies feel as if these are representations of these women? So that, that's where I started from. Um, that's where I started from. So, you know, for Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, I actually was reading her book while I was on a canoe in upstate New York, looking at lily pads, like <laughs> trying to feel what she might have felt. <laughs> you know? I love that. Yeah, yeah. It was, you know, so I was, you know, I really tried to get into their headspace a little bit. Um, and, you know, you can't, there, there isn't a whole lot you can do about... Um, the way the public, because some people are going to love it and some people are going to hate it. It's just what it's going to be. Um, but the fact that the families love it and the fact that stakeholders love it, um, and it went through a million 
committees, actually. You know, it had to be accepted as a gift to these cities. It is um, impossible. Not, obviously, it's not impossible, but it is very difficult to give cities a gift, I will say. Yes. Like, you have to go through city council meetings and estate approvals and all these things. And I'm like, please, just take this. We really want to give it to you. They have to write legislation to accept it as a gift. So it's, you know, it's a very um, prolonged process. There will be lawyers. There were lots of lawyers, uh, including my dad, who's my lawyer. <laughs> uh, I, I'm thinking about switching to a career in politics after this, after learning all the ins and outs of trying to give gifts to cities. So lots of permitting <laughs> and things there. Uh, um, you no. know what? What was that? <laughs> Never mind. One of the um, interesting facts that I learned, too, is um, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas did not have any children, but the University of Miami is her estate and also Friends of Everglades. Um, we really utilize them. And I think the main thing here that I hope you can take away from this is collaboration is key. Nothing is done in silo. We really want to make sure that we have input from all the main resources and stakeholders out there and you know again if we just go off of the reactions of the family and really to us that's what matters the most then i think that we're in a good place um i think there was another question in the audience yes go ahead Well, I'm, I'm really biased because I'm an artist, so I think art is really amazing. <laughs> that's, that's my personal perspective. Um, I, you know, a lot of the time when, you know, different regimes come in and topple governments, the first thing they take down are the icons that represent those, you know, previous um, governments or um, regimes or whatever. And, and I think, you know, that is a sign to me, of the power of art and the power of monument, right? The signs and symbols that we surround ourselves with, whether they're physical symbols or virtual symbols or, or text or anything, those are very powerful tools for you know, informing people about what we believe. Um, so I think that's how art is deeply transformative and powerful. Um, and um, you know, mostly, as I said, I work in museum spaces. And so I, I use museum spaces as a tool for that kind of transformative storytelling. But you know, working with you guys, with Hulu um, and Vivi and her team has been, um, it's, it's been game changing for me. But particularly in our public spaces, what we choose to put up in our public spaces speaks to what we value as a country. And we have seen this, nobody has to be reminded about the, you know, the removal of Confederate statues uh, that has been going on. And you know, when you study how those ended up in the spaces that they did and what they were intended to convey to the public, um, then you see how important it is that we continue this work going forward to make sure that uh, 
Americans understand that these are people who are worthy of recognition and they were so seminal to our country's history. And that, that's, the, you know, that's the beauty of history and that's why I say that you know, women's history is a gift because it tells us who we really are and how we got to be that way. Yeah, go ahead. Toolkit. <laughs> I mean, uh, that, that's a place to start. And I would say, you know, in this room, I have some ways that you can get a hold of me. I have some cards to hand out and stuff. To contact Monumental Women, contact Hulu, get, get information about, you know, how to go about starting out the process. Because, you know, as I said earlier, we don't have to reinvent the wheel here. And we get calls at Monumental Women, really, almost on a daily basis. Um, saying we, we would like to do something, whether it's preserving a house or putting up a plaque, as I said, you know, we will, we will try and help you however we can. And that includes trying to point you at some places that you can get funding. It's really great that Hulu took this on for these projects. And I would say that there must be some other people, uh, some other organizations out there. We got money from the Ford Foundation. We got money from other smaller foundations. We got a, a very substantial grant from New York Life, who it turns out had a family connection with Susan B. Anthony's family. Her father and brother were agents for New York Life, and she had a New York Life insurance policy that she sold in order to help put women through law school up in Rochester. So. There's money out there. Um, we'll try and help you find it. I, I also, um, I, my first solo museum show was actually at the Montclair Art Museum in Montclair, New, G New Jersey, yeah. And um, I, I'm bringing that up because um, they have a really fantastic board of trustees who are major advocates of art and are actually on boards at MoMA and the Guggenheim. Um, so tapping into local stakeholders who actually support the arts, believe in monuments, want to create contemporary art in their city, like probably, I mean, you, you've, got, you've got that place like right there, you got, <laughs> so. I say reach out and, and make your voice heard that you yeah. want something there and that, that's how it starts. And a collaboration, like, you know, the, the Montclair Art Museum, I know that the Newark Museum just actually did a collaboration with the city of Newark to create a monument in the, in the park right in front of their um, museum. It, I'm sure they would love to collaborate, you know. Do we have one more question? Um, I'm the director of the Salt Lake City Arts Council, and one thing we do is run a capital infrastructure program, and we really try to make our opportunities accessible for BIPOC communities and women um, art on the artist side of things. And public art can be such a hard field to break into for artists. And I'm wondering if you've seen models or programs or strategies that encourage women artists, not only just in the representation of women, but that are help, 
helping kind of grow up women public artists? That, that's, a, that's really hard, actually. Um, I got mentorship from public artists who were in my building, my studio building. Um, and that is how I started. And even with their mentorship, it, um, you know, it's, it's really, really challenging. Um, so I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, there are some programs out there, like, uh, um, so, so at the Art Students League in, in Manhattan, where Sia studied uh, at one point, they have a model to monuments program, and they try and uh, bring up new sculptors. I don't think that they're particularly oriented, unfortunately, to underrepresented populations, but we can certain, you know, we can push for that kind of thing uh, in the art world because it's also very inexpensive. The Art Students League, right? So, so in terms of access, so people, you know, if we can encourage women and people of color to go to the league and then apply for these programs. And I think that there's, you know, even though there's, artists are in a sense competitive with one another in terms of getting their art shown, that there are incredibly generous people out there, established artists who want to help. Um, and even people like, you know, Ken Burns or people who are involved in women's history. Um, you just have to start exploring what, what are the possible connections to the project that you want to accomplish to women and people of color that other organizations might want to support. I mean, I actually have a great, um, so the New York Foundation of the Arts also has an immigrant outreach program um, that I was a mentor for. And um, I think mentorship programs, like if your arts organization wants to start an intergenerational mentorship program where, you know, much like what you're describing, um, that is that is key, right? So when I started this project with Hulu, with Vivi, um, the first thing I did was I called these two public artists who've been making public art for 20 years. And, not 20, excuse me, no, they've been making it for 50 years. <laughs> they've been making it for 50 years, you know? The first thing I did, I'm like, yo, I don't know what I'm doing, can you help me? <laughs> I will. Really. I will say, last thing, because I know we're over time, is I think we can all really help elevate each other, as, especially as we progress in our careers. Get to know people that are starting out, get their names out there. You know, I can only control what I can control, and so you know, when we hire partners internally to work with, I really try to find those not, like, unknown female um, women of color, whatever it may be, to really be the ones working on projects with us instead of these bigger agencies. And I think it's also, you know, Elevating each other and really being able to bring those up as you excel in your career is really important too. Mentorships, work, work, get a mentee, and really be able to help elevate each other. That's how we we can get started, and that's what I think is really important. We talked a lot about that earlier today too. With that said, well, thank you everyone so much for coming. We hope when you that our monuments are uh, live later this year that you will check them out. And um, I'm just going to say it's going to be search for Made by Her Hulu and you'll be able to look the website and be able to experience them virtually if you can't make it there in person. Thank you. I've got cards and QR codes, so... <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>